It's great to have you with us this morning. I'm pleased to be here myself. My name's John Groves, one of the leaders here. Uh, I'm often away, Marion and my wife and I are often away at other churches that we were down in Bristol, I think, last week. So I feel uh, sometimes a visitor myself. So, uh, but it is always good to be together. What a wonderful time of worship. Loved it. The sense of the presence of God and just uh, a freedom in the spirit. Beautiful singing songs. Um, sing so many different different aspects to it. So it's very uplifting. Now we're going to look at the Word of God and that also, the Holy Spirit's going to be in this and he's going to be speaking to us all. Um, And I do include myself because I found this very challenging as I read it and prepared and prayed over things in the last week or two. So we're going to continue with our um, Sermon on the Mount series called The Way of Life. This morning the title is Seeing Clearly and the passage is Matthew 7 and verses 1 through to 6, just a few verses in the beginning of the chapter. As the whole sermon is, of course, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus preaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to his disciples. So verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Let me me take the speck out of your eye, you say, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Father, I just ask, as we take a few moments to look at your word, I pray you'll speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and speak. I pray, Jesus, these words, you're alive at the right hand of the Father. These words are still coming from your mouth like a two-edged sword. Now, I pray, Lord, you just speak to your servants today. And Lord, if, if we need things that you need to remove or surgery on our hearts. Just do it, Lord. Build us up. Make us stronger and better for you. Help us, Lord, to apply the truths in these wonderful verses. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, these are interesting verses, and I'm going to look at them under three uh, fairly simple headings. Uh, We're going to look at seeing clearly, judging and judgmentalism. We're going to look at seeing clearly, helping and hypocrisy, and seeing clearly, pearls and pigs. And they're all about seeing clearly. They really are. So we're going to look at the first one, judging and judgmentalism. And that's focusing on the first two verses, which uh, we've just read, but to put them up to remind us, do not judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, the first thing I want to say is that these verses probably contain the best-known bit of the Bible in 21st century Britain, I think. People who, in this post-Christian age, who don't appear to know much of the Bible at all, will know that somewhere it says, do not judge. Or that Jesus said, do not judge. I thought it said in the Bible, do not judge. I've heard that phrase. I wonder if most of you in the room have at some point heard that said. 
Usually, if you're making what is perceived as a critical comment about an action, or you're making a comment that that isn't perhaps the right thing to do, or that that is something like that, you will often get back from even, as I say, in an age which doesn't appear to know much of the Bible, oh, it says in the Bible somewhere, doesn't it? Don't judge. Didn't Jesus say that? And uh, I think that means that this is a very important passage for us to look at. I think in church history, the last 2,000 years, there are times when certain issues, certain passages perhaps are more important or contentious or need more careful handling than others. It'd be interesting to explore that. I'm sure someone tucked away in a university can do a PhD on it. But, But for us... Today, I really think it's important we understand what these verses mean because they really are quite commonly used and understood. And actually, we live in an age which doesn't like anything dogmatic, doesn't like doctrine and teaching black and white, is antagonistic often to religious faith full stop, a bit uncomfortable with people who actually believe something and really act on what they believe and really mean it. That is something that people almost in our modern culture right here, this part of the world, aren't comfortable with. Our, our culture's much more comfortable with feel-good stuff. It's all about feel-good, it's how you feel. It's about presentation. It's about spin almost unashamedly. It's about getting the right vibe, getting the feel for it, the catchphrase, the slogan, the uh, soundbite that just catches something. And, uh, and so this is a nice little soundbite that catches something which suits our age. It suits our postmodern, as it's called, age. No absolutes. You can't say one thing's right, the other thing's wrong. Hyper-individualism. I, my choice is paramount, is king. If I choose to do something, no one can question it. My personal choice is in every area, trumps everything else, including the area of morality. And the great cardinal virtue is tolerance, that you tolerate, and that's understood to mean you let me do what I like without criticism or comment. In fact, if anything, you should be celebrating what I do rather than criticising it. And that is sort of the background of our culture, and do not judge, appears to fit very nicely into that narrative. And so we have to ask the question, can we take these three words that Jesus, the opening three words, do not judge, and say that from those, it means the truly Christian attitude is never to express a critical or negative opinion of other people and what they're doing. Can this be quoted as the absolute unqualified sort of peak of what a Christian should aspire to, that you have to tolerate all other views and opinions and behaviours, etc. Is that fundamentally the correct interpretation of this verse? The answer is a resounding no. Not at all. And you say, how? It says that. Well, let's take a moment to find out what it does say. In fact, I would argue that these words cannot mean what I've just briefly described, that sort of parody, perhaps, no critical thinking, no comments, that all you should ever do is tolerate, commend and celebrate whatever other people choose to do and believe, and you can't issue any comment that is critical. Why do I say so strongly that it can't mean that? Well, you don't have to go very far to work it out. 
Matthew 7, verse 6, we read, but let's put it up on the screen again. Thank you. It says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. How can I take any notice of what Jesus says there, put it into practice, if I don't exercise some form of judgment, some form of assessment and discernment myself? But go a little further in the same sermon. Verses 15 and 16, which we're not preaching about this morning, but let's just glance at it. Jesus warns, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? How could I watch out for false prophets if I'm so afraid of judging what people say and making an assessment of anything they might teach that I can't ever naysay it, I can't ever have a, a contrary opinion or express it or say it's wrong, I couldn't do it. And we're told that false prophets will come in sheep's clothing often. In other words, they'll appear nice and friendly and harmless. But I've got to be shrewd and assess the situation, assessing the fruit of their lives, maybe assessing and discerning what they're actually teaching against uh, things that I know are right. And I do, in fact, to an element, judge them by their fruit. I mean, I can't obey that without doing something like that. And so these standards that I've applied, these teachings that I know, will help me to assess, that Jesus is teaching, will help me to assess them. But that really does challenge that sort of parody view or that rather unthinking, lazy view, that sort of a soundbite view that I laid out earlier. And let me give you one other verse of Jesus before we move on. Verse, uh, John 7, verse 24, Jesus, again it's Jesus' words, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. That's Jesus, right? The same bloke who says, Matthew 7 verse 1. So he's obviously saying there is a form of judgment I want you to exercise, but it's a correct form, not just judging by external appearances. So this is clearly not a blanket statement against all critical thinking. That's not what he's saying. So obviously, what is Jesus saying? What does he mean? Well, first of all, this is in a context to individuals. There's probably one other slight weird aberration, which historically has risen up several times. Tolstoy was one who, who said, Jesus said, no one should judge. We shouldn't. He thought Jesus was anarchist. So we don't need judges. We don't need governments and authority because of these verses. It's a crazy idea, but it was said. This is not about anarchism. This is about individuals, but it's particularly about followers of Jesus. Remember the context. I think we find it in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, which we're not putting up. It's just a reminder. The context is Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching his followers. And so this is aimed first and foremost at the children of the kingdom. How do you get into the kingdom of God? By being born again of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's laid out in John's gospel, for example. John 3, verse 3. Jesus said, when you're born again of the Spirit, that's how you come into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus scratched his head and said, well, how's that work? And it's a whole other story. But it is quite important to remember <laughs> that the context of all of this is to probably what is in this room, the majority. But if you're not yet a child of the kingdom, you can come in this morning and I'll give you opportunity to understand that a little later, how you do that. But the offer is for any to be in God's kingdom. 
to be born of the Holy Spirit, which is wonderful, change from the inside out and become a follower of Jesus. And in that context, get it clear, so it's relevant to most of us in the room, could be all of us, in that context, Jesus is speaking quite chunky stuff. He's saying, in perhaps modern sort of terms, don't be judgmental. Don't, I, he's speaking against judgmentalism. I don't know if that's even a real word. But what it basically means is being self-righteous and arrogant and fault-finding and writing people off and thinking you're right and they're all wrong and making a judgment on them. It's, a divide, it's not aimed at judges and courts and those sort of things. There's plenty of other material in the Bible that shows that God has a part with, for them, that's another story. And, it, and it's not about general attitude that nobody should have an opinion about anything. This is a challenge to individual followers of Jesus about our spirit and our attitude to other people. And the root problem is taking to yourself a godlike role, which is why it is so serious. You say, I mean, you say, what do you mean, John, godlike role? Well, when you judge another person's fundamental person, you write them off. When you judge their motives and their heart motives, only God knows these things. That's not your role. You can make critical assessments of teachings and of principles, and we talk a little about that as we go through, but, but actually this is about how do you treat other people? Do you just rubbish them? Do you just write them off? Do you just, just take to, they are no good, they're, even then they're lost, they're, they're not... God decides these things. They're, I know why they're doing that, do you? I think only God knows why they're doing that. Now, you can make a comment about what they do. If they lie or punch you on the nose, you're allowed to. But, but hey, hey, wait a moment. How far? You cannot stray into God's territory. And, and that is so, so important. And verse 2, which we've read, looked at already, carries quite a serious warning. And, and as I was thinking about it, I thought... Oh, I get that. I was just thinking, yeah, I see what Jesus... Let me try and explain to you. If I, because I can do it and do do it sometimes, sadly, if I or you pose as judges of other people's sins and errors and are unspoken, uh, sorry, outspoken, the opposite, outspoken about that, then here's something. It shows that we have a clear idea of what's the right thing to do. In actual fact, quite often, our judgments are accurate. But, you know, we may have got it right. What that person's doing is a wrong thing to do or say. But that shows we know what the right thing to do is, doesn't it? Our own mouth condemns us. It boomerangs back. Because if you're not doing that, there's no question. God's heard you say, well, you know you shouldn't do that. Because you were very, very clear in your judgment, well, they shouldn't do that. So, of, out of your own mouth, you are judged. It's actually quite a scary thing to take that role to yourself without serious regard of what you're doing and where you stand before God and in your own conscience and clarity. And that's really the whole meat of what Jesus is getting to in this whole passage. He's warning us to be careful that we don't stray into that territory. So then it weaves into, let's look at the second one, because it gets more practical and a little funnier, actually, I think. So the second one, seeing clearly, helping and hypocrisy. You see, Jesus is spelling out a very 
common, I'm sorry, it's a common attitude amongst Christians. Actually, it's a common attitude amongst religious people. Even devoutly religious people easily fall in to having a judgmental spirit. It's almost a a, uh, vulnerability that goes with it, which we have to be very aware of. When I was preparing this, I read a Martin Lloyd-Jones commentary, and he listed the classic characteristics of this bad attitude. And as I was reading them, I thought, oh, 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 like you do. So I'm going to give you that as well. So here, the, here, I mean, it's just as quick. It's not on the screen or anything. It's me. I use my voice. It's, it, it's not all. It's just a listen. He, he said, these are the sort of characteristics of the attitude Jesus is going after. A readiness to give a judgment on matters that are no concern to you at all. Not your business. A mixing up of principle and prejudice. I let you think about it. I haven't got time to unpack it all. But it's good. You know, what's your, what's a, you call it a principle or is it a prejudice? Just think about it. Attacking someone's motives rather than sticking to the ideas or what they've actually said or the principles involved. Attacking their motives, something I've already mentioned. Being quick to express an opinion without knowledge of the facts. Oops. Part of the same attitude. Being quick to reject any explanation that is offered. Dismissing the explanation. An unwillingness to exercise mercy. Being ungenerous to other people's mistakes and pouring cold water on their successes. This is a brilliant analysis of this bad attitude which is frighteningly common, we have to say. A refusal to listen to arguments that you disagree with. A willingness not merely to pronounce a judgment on people, what people say and do, but upon the whole person themselves. <laughs> well, perhaps not. I'm the only one. Oh, well, it's just for, just for me. Just for me. Okay, Lord, I get it. But I'm so, I must learn from all you lot. But now, come on. This is so near the bone, isn't it? It really is. And then Jesus sort of twists the knife, really, because with it goes hypocrisy. Often is commonly accompanied by hypocrisy. What do I mean? Well, there's a delight in issuing judgments on other people's attitudes, words and actions, but you're very tolerant of your own picadillos and little sins. And We like to use little phrase, oh, I'm just a little bit prone to that. Yes, well, that's, that's fine. That's wrong, wrong and sin. Let's be as outspoken about you as you are about other people. That sort of problem. Matthew Henry, dear old Puritan writer who I love, you know, I often quote from him. He puts it like this, a couple of lines from Matthew Henry. I think they're on the screen. Many are guilty of that in secret which they have the face to punish in others when it is discovered. So basically, you know, often people go for stuff in other people which they're precisely what they're guilty of. It's unfortunately quite a tendency. We have to watch it. This is a very searching passage because it really does catch us out. And uh, here's the little sort of... uh, I don't know if it's icing on the cake because it's more than that. It's almost the fundamental weakness or problem with it is that we often dress this judgmentalism up as our desire to help people. We're trying to help. It it often has a spiritual gloss or a super spiritual gloss that, you know, you claim good motives. I'm trying to bring righteousness. I'm trying to help them. 
I'm trying to help them to be more acceptable with God and more acceptable with other people. I'm trying to prevent them causing offence. I'm trying to help them to grow. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. And so on and so forth. And that's what Jesus is challenging with this brilliant little illustration. Let's pop it up again to remind us. Jesus says this, verses 3 and 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus was a carpenter. He was a carpenter until the age of 30. It would have been pretty common to get sawdust specks in people's eyes. And someone helped you get it out. It hurts. It's not great. You've got sawdust in your eye. And so this is rooted in reality, but it's also funny. You think, funny? Yes! Oh, it's not super funny, but it's quite funny. It's cartoonish. It really is. Jesus probably said it with a smile on his face. I hope that doesn't shock you, because it's probably true. And it's also true that those who got what he was saying probably ruefully smiled, a little bit like you and I are doing. That's the, that's the tenor it gets home. It's not all heavy. He's saying, imagine you've got a, your friend. You want to help your friend. Steve's got sawdust in his eye. And I'm going, I'll get it out for you, Steve. And I've got a plank in my own eye. I'm in a plank, for goodness sake. You know, I'm whacking Steve on the head. I'm punching. He's, he's, he's already lost his ear as I try. And I can't see it. I'll get it out for you, Steve. Where's your head? Oh, there it is. Oh, let's pull. Oh, I've got the eye out as well. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's crazy. Of course, it's cartoonish. Let's sort your plank out, then you probably can help them. I mean, that's the point. It's not that people don't need sawdust taken out of their eye. Sawdust is uncomfortable and it's irritable and it, people need things. But what attitude do you take? How, in what context do you go and help? And it doesn't mean you can never help people. What it means is, first of all, be open to dealing with your own sin before you start dealing with other people's. That's what it means. Then you'll be able to see clearly to help people properly and effectively. If you want to help other people, and we do, for example, literally remove something that's painful and damaging, we need to be open to being helped ourselves, humble and self-critical. And here's the big one. You need to be open to correction. I mean, I've been a pastor 40 plus years. So often, and I've done it, you know, I'm all huffy if anybody speaks to me, but I expect other people to take it in spades. Oh, yeah, you, Rob, you need to sort that out. You need to sort that out. You sort, oh, Rob's offended. Oh, what a weak Christian. Someone says to me, John, I think you should do that. Who are you to tell me that? <laughs> I, I mean, you know what? Hang on a minute. Nobody can get near your plank, but you're banging everybody in the face with your, you know, telling them what you're going to do and not do. That is the fundamental thing. Are you self-critical? Let's start with yourself. Let's sort your plank out, shall we? Are you, are you open to being told what's wrong with you? If you are, there's the positive, you can talk to other people. You will come with humility. You will come with grace because you know that you are, have weaknesses as well. And actually, you're very aware of them. Dear John Stott writes this. Look at this. I love it. He says, we need to be as critical of ourselves as we are of others and as generous to others as we always are to ourselves. 
Is that not true? I mean, that's just the basic truth of the thing. That, I mean, it, you think, yeah. So let's just swing it around a bit, really. And I think, I think when, you, when you read that and when you let it sink in and when Jesus' thing really challenges you, I think the first thing that hits you is, honestly, this is what I thought this week, first thing that hits me is thank God for the gospel. I mean it. Thank God that all my hypocritical attitudes, my judgmentalism, my quickness to do, loads of what Jesus is warning about, thank you, I can be forgiven. And thank God that the warning that's there, and it is a warning, that, you know, judge not, you'll be judged by the same standard. But Jesus bore my judgment. And it isn't as simple as, like, I've done for then, because I've certainly fallen into this hole, so I'm done for. No, 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 there is always hope. And I think the response to this for any Christian in the room, and indeed if you're not a Christian, join us this way, is to understand that Jesus bore all your sin, all your unkindness to other people, all your mistakes, all your failures. He bore them in his body on the cross. He took your judgment so that you can go free. And you deserve judgment, as do I, on this basis alone, let alone a hundred and one other things. But actually, he died for you so that you might have a fresh start, a clean heart, and begin to walk in the Spirit and, and begin to live differently so that you can bring help to people without huge hypocrisy. We can help people without hypocrisy. But it requires the grace of God. It requires an understanding that we have received mercy we didn't deserve so we can give other people a similar approach. Here's one verse to help you. If you, And I hope some of you will be thoughtful about this. That I need to sort of sort this out. Here's a verse. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Just. It's done by justice. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that, I often come back to that verse. I often do. I've done it within the last week or two, several times, I think. I often come back to that verse when I feel I've missed something, let God down, done something, when I've read passages like this. And, and sometimes you think, no, Lord, I just say, it's like I understand how it works. I, I confess to you, I realise I'm a sinner being changed, yes, but I'm saved by grace. Your judgment, my judgment fell on you, Jesus. Thank you. And I confess my sins and you are faithful and just and will purify me from all unrighteousness. Amen? Can I leave that verse for you to think about? perhaps later, if any of this touches you. Let's finish with the last one. Seeing clearly pigs and pearls. What do we make of this? I think this is quite fun. Let's put it up again. Jesus said, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they, will, they may trample them under, feet, under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, we're not to be judgmental, we're not to be hypocritical, but we are to be discerning and discriminating. And it's quite a tricky balance. We are to discern and discriminate about people and situations and times. I think that's partly here. What we say, to who we say it, when we say it. So it would seem these verses are about a sort of kingdom wisdom or discernment. Now we have to have a bit of background. We always need to know the background, otherwise you don't get the stuff. Again, I think this is quite funny. I hope you'll find that in a moment. Sort of funny, yeah, I think it is. Right, 
Dogs, which is not the main one here, pigs we'll get to in a minute. Dogs in the first century were not the pampered pets of modern Britain. You know, where you've got three aisles of dog food in your local supermarket. Stupid. Never mind. Uh, what, what dogs were more... If you've ever been to a place like Mumbai, if you've had the privilege I've had there, you've got more idea what we're talking about. Packs of dogs wandering wild in the street, feeding on rubbish and piles of rubbish, snarling and barking at each other, if you come near them and try and take what they're eating, or even try and be nice to them, they're more likely to bite you genuinely, because they're just wild, feral dogs. Now, there were some people who, who perhaps had dogs, probably largely guard dogs or the odd thing in a house, but dogs as pets was not really the first century thing, and it's not what they're thinking about. These are quite ugly, slightly dangerous, unnerving creatures that are out on the streets, snarling and barking and fighting over everything. What's sacred is the food offered in the idol, oh, not in the idol, sorry, let's rewind that, offered in the temple to God. So, so you're talking about uh, holy food offered to God, which would would then be probably eaten by the priests, the special chosen people. It's really super holy stuff. You wouldn't take that and give it to these scavenging, snarling dogs in the street, Jesus is saying, and he's right. And then he moves on with a... I mean, it's very common Hebrew practice to repeat something for emphasis. So it's the same point made from a different angle. And he moves on to pigs and pearls. Now, pigs... In the first century for the Jew, pigs are unclean. You don't eat pork, it's against the law. You don't want to keep them, you don't want to touch them. Think about the um, prodigal son who ends up feeding the pigs. That was a shameful, awful thing to happen. So pigs are only kept by Gentiles and for Gentiles. And again, we're not dealing with modern farming. How many of you have been down the A303 and seen Pig City, which is opposite, um, which is opposite, uh, what's the place called? Stonehenge, Stonehenge that awful monstrosity, yeah. <laughs> Pagan monstrosity. So, so there's Stonehenge and there's Pig City. Do you know what I mean? You have plenty of time to look at it. It usually takes you about an hour to get along that road. <laughs> And it's all orderly, all the huts and all the pigs there. You've got time to learn the names of every jolly one of them, usually. <laughs> and they're all there. We took some friends from, uh, from honestly, we did. Uh, I think it was Sydney, who leads the Living Word Church in Mumbai. I mean, they don't, that, that's not how they treat animals. So we're living And he was amazed at the orderly and the pigs. He wanted to take photographs. He got his camera out to take photographs of the pig farm on the A3. He had time to do it, of course. And, he, and honestly, he did. He thought it was amazing. Oh, look, you know, they're all, they're not clean, but they're as clean as you can get pigs. Well, forget all that, right? Forget it all. We're dealing again with feral animals. We're dealing with wild, I think more wild boars. We're thinking of them rooting around in the rubbish. We're thinking of them snarling, probably got tusks. Nobody got rid of the tusks in those days. You've got some nasty sort of animals and you throw at these pigs pearls, a handful of pearls. Now, a handful of pearls is probably... I don't know what it's worth. I'm not a jeweller, but it might be tens of thousands of pounds. And you've got your pigs snorting around here, and you throw them a handful of pearls. Now, you know, one of them might get hit on the snout and go, <laughs> and then what will they do? They will try and eat it because all they are interested in it is, they think you might have sent them, thrown at them, peas and acorns. They are only interested in saying, if it's peas and acorns, well, that'd be very nice. <laughs> But actually, when they try and eat it, it bangs their teeth. It's a to them, it's stones. You've thrown a handful of gravel 
That's all they think. They don't think they don't value it. They've got no sense of value. In fact, they're indignant that you've thrown gravel at them. It makes them angry. You, you, know, you haven't fed me at all. And if you've got a really nasty boar, he's probably going to turn and run at you because that's what they do. You can aggravate a boar. Don't try and do it if you find one in the new forest. And they're, they're, like they are, you know, they're aggressive animals. And so you've thrown this handful of 10,000 pounds worth of pearls. Go, here, piggy. And the pig goes, can't eat that. Yeah. And it charges at you. I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so this is, this is Jesus' story that he tells them. What does he mean? What's he telling us? Be thoughtful and careful about what you say to who and when. The pearls are kingdom truths. They're the kingdom message. Now look, Jesus, it's much more robust way of speaking than our day. Jesus is not saying, he's just told us not to dismiss people. He's not saying dismiss people as pigs. He's just giving a funny picture. But actually, we know from the Sermon on the Mount, we are to love our enemies. Okay, so our attitude of people is loving and merciful, but we need to discern what we do when. And I think, I haven't time to unpack this as much as I would like, but I think there are lots of opportunities, lots of things we've done badly as Christians. I mean, quite often we have tried to teach Bible kingdom truths to unsaved people who are blinded by Satan and dead in their sin. That's actually been done quite often with the Sermon on the Mount. So you think, hang on, you can't teach that. They don't even, they need to know the gospel. They don't need to be told they've got to love their enemies and turn the other cheek. You know, to be honest, you're throwing pearls before. They're pigs, right? Not, I'm sorry if you're offended. That's not the food. You give them the food they want. And, and it's that sort of thrust to it, that sort of challenge to it. Another error, and I think this is more common is to offer comfort before people have understood sin. So, you know, not God is a loving God, but you don't only emphasise love. He's a loving Father. Yes, thank God you can know that when you know him as your Father and he's born of the Spirit, but he's also a holy judge. And actually, the way we become Christians is through repenting of our sin. We say, I need saving. If you're not hungry and thirsty and I give you food, you may well spit it out or not want it. You say, I'm absolutely full, thanks. I'll say, oh no, you must eat it. I don't want it. So, I mean, sorry, but that's my illustration, similar to the pigs. What, basically, people have got, you've got to discern what are they hungry for. <laughs> and, and don't waste your time, if you like, or waste the precious things of the kingdom. And finally, and there could be many applications, don't keep on offering things when they've been rejected. I mean, Jesus says this in other ways. Be open to the fact to move on to people who might be hungry. Don't keep just knocking away at it. That's what Jesus is saying. So what is the answer? And we're ending with this the last couple of minutes. What is the answer? Because it is actually quite hard to think, well, well you know, gospel, what do you mean? How do we do this? Well, you need to be sensitive to who you're speaking to, you love all of them, but you're sensitive and discerning, as best you can be, of what is appropriate. And there is a wonderful example in Jesus. Let's just put up, as my final thing, two verses. One from John 5, 19. 
Jesus gave them this answer, and then the other one, 828. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the Father has given me, or taught me, it says here, but given me. Jesus lived like this. He was sensitive to the Father. So he said, what I do is what the Father's doing. What's the Father doing with these people? I speak what the Father tells me to speak. And I think there's a precious truth here. If we are Christians, and I praise God, it's wonderful, filled with the Spirit, we are in communion with our Heavenly Father. Ask yourself, what's Father doing with these people? What, what are these, you know, it's not that we're going to shoot them because they're pigs, but you don't throw pearls at them. That only annoys them. It doesn't feed them. You know, Father, Father, what are you saying to do? What the Father says, I do, I say. And what the Father's doing, I see what the Father's doing, that's what I do. I think it's a wonderful, precious truth that we are co-workers with Him in bringing hope to lost people. We're not writing people off. The picture is deliberately vivid, like the plank, deliberately humorously vivid but the message is not about people it's about us think what you're doing be sensitive to the kingdom pearls where do they go when do they go are they ready for them or not let me leave you to think that through and just maybe be reflective on some of the things we've looked at together